0: Well, I'm glad you all get to see me today. It's always a plus. When Brother Tim gets people to fill in for me, only gets the best, that is for sure. So, unfortunately, they were unavailable, so here I am. So, uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So, hopefully you brought your Bibles, and that's where we're going to be at, Ephesians chapter 4. So, uh, my dad, well, he's an interesting fellow. He's kind of like me. But my dad, when I was in high school, he decided, maybe it was junior high, I'm not sure, but probably early high school, he decided he wanted to plant some more trees around his house, which is all fine and and grand. And so, you know, one Friday I had to spend the the day planting like five new trees around their house. And then the next day or that night, he's like, Andrew, you need to go mow. I was like, all right. So I go out there, try mowing. Won't start, it's dead, nothing's happening. And so my dad's like, I'm just going to go find you a mower so you can mow with. Okay, thanks, Dad. So he goes and uh, brings one back later that night. It's too late at that point. So the next he's like, Andrew, you need to mow with this lawnmower that I borrowed from somebody. He said, do you need me to show you how to use it? I said, Dad, I've been mowing for a long time. I'm 15 years old, and I know how to mow. Well, this mower is a little bit different than ours. So on our mower... It's kind of weird because we had a real old one. The brake was up here. And on this other one that we had that he borrowed, the, this bar right here that actually moved the, the deck up and down. And so I'm just mowing along. I my mean, I am busy thinking, my gosh, I don't know why that guy thought I could help learning how to mow. I know how to mow. It's, that, it's not hard. You go over grass and it cuts it, right? So I'm coming along. And all of a sudden I see one of these new trees coming up. I said, okay, not a big deal. I'll just stop and kind of work my way around it. And so I, as I'm coming up to you, I grab this bar up here to stop. And I'm pulling. on. like, why is this thing not stopping? This mower's a lot nicer than ours was. <clears throat> and so I'm pulling on this thing to stop, and it's not stopping. And, and instead of just turning, I'm just like frozen, like what do I do? But instead of turning, trying to avoid it, I just kept going straight. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized that I'd gone over that tree and the mower did not stop. And eventually I remembered, oh, the brake's down here by my foot. I stopped it and I thought, I don't even know if I should turn around. <laughs> I turned around, there's no sign of that tree. That sucker was gone. <clears throat> so I called my, well, at first I, you know, stressed about it for a while. Then I thought, well, I can either call my dad and tell him or come home and let him find it. So I thought I'd better call him. So I called and said, dad, I ran over one of your trees. I said, which one? One of the ones you just planted? <laughs> you know. It's like, oh, I'll look at it when I get home. I'm thinking, he does not get it, you know, but. <laughs> and so he comes home later. He's like, which trees? I pointed out this direction, but we planted several th-. He's over there. He's looking at this different tree. He's like, I don't even see where you hit us. I said, it's not that tree, dad. See that mulch pile over there? That's the tree. He was not happy. <clears throat> I told him I was just trying to start my own mulch business and he did not find the humor in that. But the thing is, I needed help with that. I needed help trying to figure out how to mow. I needed help trying to figure out how this mower is actually supposed to work because I thought I knew and, you know, obviously I did not know. So I should have asked my dad for help, but he even offered help, but I refused it. I said, I got this, dad. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm 15 years old. I know everything. <laughs> Shocker, spoiler alert. We don't know everything. Even 15, 18 year olds don't know everything. Even 40- and 80-year-olds don't know everything. But the thing is, we all need help at times. We need help to know how to navigate through life. We need help knowing how to interpret Scripture. We need help knowing how to even learn more about God. We are never meant to do life on our own, and sometimes when we try to do it on our own, it's usually when we end up hurting the most. It's usually when we end up finding out that we have a lot more scars than are needed because we try to do it on our own without somebody else helping us out. And so even to the graduates, you know, as you're getting ready to go off to to college or to work or wherever you may be, maybe you're even staying at home, you're going to be encountering a lot of new things. You're encountering a lot of new people, a lot of new faces, a lot of new professors and and people that do not agree with you. And the thing is, if, if you're not founded in God's word, you're going to fall into those lies every single time. Because those people... So professors and some of these people who've been studying these things for long periods of time, they don't just say it and make it sound like, they don't just come and say, Jesus is a lie, and you're like, no, he's not. They make it sound really profound. I'm not smart to make it sound like that, but, you know, these guys make it sound really profound and make it sound like, oh, man, they actually have a really good point. And if you don't know your script or if you don't know God's word, if you're not found in Jesus, you'll give in to that temptation, give in to that, that lie time after time after time. And so it's important to know who you are founded in Christ, and especially when you move away, whether you're a graduate or even an adult, no matter how old you are, if you move away somewhere, it's important to get plugged into a local church. If you're not plugged into a local church, how can you really expect to, to grow? I mean, I've heard the argument before, and I'm sure you have to it's like, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you're right, you don't. But if you really want to say that you're a Christian, how can you really say that you're a Christian and not want to be a part of his church, the thing that he established? I mean, the church isn't just there just so we can check something off our, our list once a week. It's like, oh, I went to church this week, so I'm good to go for at least a month. So it's not, it's not how it works. God established the church to help you. God established the church so that you can grow, so you can learn, so you can be discipled. And so today we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4. Hope you're all there. We're going to start off reading verses 10 through 12. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 here. Says he who ascended is the I'll start over here. He who ascended is the very one who ascend, who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so oh, here, let me help you out. There it is, see it? All right, good. Moving on. Point number one, you need to be a disciple. I mean, from the very beginning, God says he, that Jesus is the one who came down, who descended to earth as a man, gave up everything he had in order to do that. He was reigning on a throne in heaven, having angels bow down before him at his feet, worshiping him over and over again. Even in Isaiah, Isaiah has vision and said these angels were worshiping God so much that the very foundations were shaking. Can you imagine God saying, you know what? I know you're up here being worshiped by all these animals, but I need you to go to, to earth. I need you to leave all this so you can go down to earth, so you can live a perfect life where people are going to reject you, where people are going to spit upon you and beat you and torture you and kill you, because we love these people and we love our creation. That's the one who descended, and it says the very one who descended the same one who ascended. As Jesus was in his last day on earth, he was... Move his disciples on the mountain, and it says the disciples saw Jesus lift up in him, the clouds part, and saw him sit down at the right hand of God. So Jesus isn't just some person who once was or once is, but he's the reigning king who's reigning on his throne. He's the king who's over all things, the king who's in charge of all things. And the thing about this is that this king who's reigning on his throne is the one who all these gifts come from. It says that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some preachers, some teachers, and so on and so forth. And all these gifts that we have come from one person, and one person only from Jesus. But it's not just that. So he says he gave them all these gifts for one thing. It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. One really cool thing I found as I was studying this is, uh, as many of you may know, the New Testament was not written in English. Shocker. You know, English hasn't been around long enough. But it's written in Greek. And in the original Greek language, this word equip means to restore to the original or the former condition. Of course, cool like pastors, teachers, all these people, they're not just here to help you out in life. They're here to equip you to how you're originally meant to be. They're here to equip you how God meant you to be from the very beginning, to be the person who's serving him alongside doing the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is the thing that all Christians are called to do. They're called to serve. It's not just for the elect, these people who we see as, oh, these are the elect, these high and lifted up people. No, it's not for that. The work of the ministry is for all people. It's for all Christians. And if you're not serving in ministry, then you're really not following Jesus like you're supposed to be. And as you find new churches, graduates, as, as you find new churches to plug into, you find people who will help you out, if you're not finding a place where you can serve in, you're going to be missing out on a huge part that God wants to bless you with. And that's the same for all of us here, too. We all have to find places to serve. And and serving is not just simply, well, I did my thing once a year, so I'm good to go. God, I served you. I'm good for 364 more days. That's how it works, right? No, not at all. And so serving Jesus is a constant daily thing. It's not just a once once a, a year thing. It's not just, well, whenever I feel like it or whenever my life calms down or whenever I finally have time. Serving Jesus is a daily thing that God has commanded us and called us all to do, and to not do that is really to, to live in sin. And so it says we're not just to equip them, but we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the church may grow in faith. And so I have these chairs here, as you might have noticed. You're like, what in the world is this guy doing with chairs? That's why this podium's not here because I wanted you to be able to see these. These chairs look a little bit different if you can't tell. This one looks nice and polished, one you probably want to sit in. This one, not so much, although this rustic look is really becoming a fade, so I can sell this to you for $500 after we're done, in case you're wondering. There's a price for everything. But this chair is not how it's meant to be. This chair is never meant to be unfinished. It's never meant to, uh, to have all this paint on it and somebody try to scratch it off or repaint it or whatever they were trying to do. We were meant to be like this, like this chair. And so when we start living in the world, sin gets in our life. The world gets in our way. We get distracted by these things and sin kind of scuffs us up a little bit. The sin in our life kind of puts a little bit more pain on us. Sin in our life might even take away one of these legs. This chair has all of its legs, but and I'm telling you, they are in there good. So I try to take it out. <laughs> it's probably glued. I didn't want to saw it off. But the point is, some of us are missing a leg. Some of us might not be fully furnished, might not be fully polished like we're meant to be. God intended us to be this this complete piece of work, this thing that is in its original condition. And yet we're satisfied thinking, well, I still have four legs, so I'm just as good as that person over there. Or I'm still a chair, so I'm good to go. Or I think, well, you know what, I might have little scuffs, little bruises, little little things that are messed up with me, but, you know, really, I I can still hold somebody's weight. I mean, maybe not somebody that weighs very much, but I can still hold some weight. And we start comparing ourselves to other people, other Christians, and second, comparing ourselves to Jesus. Because Jesus meant for us to be this original masterpiece. He meant for us to be this, this original condition that we were meant to be before the fall of man even came about. And sin gets in our life and messes us up. And we make excuses over and over again, thinking, well, man, I'm just going to have to live with how I, you know, I, God can't use me because I have this, this, and this in my life. That's obviously not how it's meant to be at all. But you were never meant to be just a convert. You're never meant just to simply say a prayer or simply get baptized and think, well, I'm good to go for my life now. I got it set. Baptism, salvation is the beginning point of eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. It starts when you accept Jesus in your life. And when you accept Jesus, it, it, man, it, it requires something of you. While Jesus doesn't require anything for salvation, because of your love for Jesus, it, it uh, compels you to want to do things for him, to show him how much you love him, to show him how much you care for him. And to simply just say, well, I'm good enough like this, Jesus. I don't need you to fix me anymore. I, I got you. I'm good to go. To say, I say, God, I, I don't really need everything you have for me. I'm good just like I am in my sin. And to really to say that, whether you've been baptized or not, you're still in sin. You're not a Christian. If you're not willing to give every single thing you have to Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus. And so, except you make a excuse like, well, I'm just like everybody else. I go to church, so... I'm good to go. That's not how it's meant to be here. So what I want to talk about is what does it mean to be a disciple? Obviously we need to be a disciple, but what is, what is disciple? What is a disciple? What is disciple making? This is a definition I found. It's not anything from a dictionary, but of um, a, a church had this definition. I just really like. It says disciple making is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit of God in order to replicate followers of Christ. I think about even in the Great Commission that churches like to quote so often, Like, go out and make disciples. That doesn't say go out and make some commerce, go out and dunk some people on water, and man, you're good to go. It says go out and make disciples. And so disciple making is simply reaching people intentionally so that they may go out and make disciples themselves. But in order to do that, they have to be, um, they have to be, someone has to invest in their life. It doesn't just happen by chance. And so even the term Christian itself is used three times in the New Testament. Three times. The word disciple is used 268 times in the New Testament. 234 just in the Gospels alone in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 234 times versus three times of the term Christian. You're never meant to just be a convert. You're meant to be a disciple. And so discipleship happens in small groups. It doesn't happen in large groups. because Even if I wanted to, I could not disciple everybody in this room. It would be impossible. Because discipleship doesn't happen just by simply getting up and speaking to people. Discipleship happens with life-on-life relationships, where you're investing intentionally in the life of another person. And really, in order to really disciple somebody, you can't have more than three or four people look at jesus himself jesus spoke to thousands of people what twice maybe three times he spoke to crowds of of 50 60 70 hundreds of people more times than than the three but it still wasn't the group that he spoke to the most the group he spoke to more than that was was his disciples his group of 12 people his a small community and he spent a lot of time investing in those 12 guys But you know, there's still even a smaller group that he invested even more. Peter, James, and John. Time after time, you look throughout scripture, you can see Jesus taking these three men aside to invest in their lives intentionally, life on life discipleship. If Jesus can only invest in three people with with good effort and intentionality, how many do you really think you can do? I mean, suddenly think, well, I got a group of 20 people I'm discipling. It's like, oh, man, good luck with that. You must do nothing else. Because that would literally take all of your time. You'd have no time for family, no time for friends. Discipleship happens in small groups, in small communities of three or four people, it doesn't happen in large groups. And so, uh, the difference in Bible study and discipleship is that discipleship. Oh, yeah, there you go. Is discipleship is never complete until the student or the disciple becomes the teacher or the discipler. If the student doesn't become the teacher, you have not discipled somebody. And yet, many churches are saying, Well, you know, I've been discipled my whole life, or people in churches say that. And it's like, Well, who are you teaching? Well, I'm not teaching anybody, somebody's discipling me. Great, who are you teaching? If you're not teaching somebody yourself, you're not discipling anybody. And if you're not teaching somebody else, somebody's not discipling you. Because that is the goal of discipleship, is to teach other people how to be a disciple and how to have them make a disciple. And they're they're over here thinking, like this chair over here is like, well, I'm a disciple because I go to church on Sunday mornings. But that's not a disciple. Disciple is somebody, I mean, obviously a disciple would go to church, but a disciple somebody who does more than just simply go to church. Discipleship is not just a class, but it's the course of your life and sharing it. And discipleship, life change happens. If life and lives are not being changed, discipleship is not happening. And so next point here, we're actually we're going to read the next few verses here, but it's all right. Ephesians chapter four. Hope you're all there still. Verses 13 and 14. So after... Uh, Paul hears writing and says, man, you're going to equip these people for the work of the ministry so they may become uh, mature in their faith. And then in verse 13, he picks up again and he says, um, uh, they're gonna, Christ is going to build everybody up until we reach the unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then in verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be infants, Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there and by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You are not meant to just simply be a disciple, but you were meant to invest in other people. You're meant to invest in other lives. I mean, here he says that uh, not only are, is he going to come and equip us, but he's equipping you so that you may become mature in your faith. And not just mature in your faith. But so you can become mature in your faith until you're like Jesus. That's a that's a high standard. Discipleship never ends because you are meant to be like Jesus. And until you're like Jesus, you should always be be being discipled. If you ever stop growing, if you ever stop desiring to know who Jesus is, you're not a disciple. You're not meant to just be a convert. You're meant to be a disciple. But those who do not mature, they say, immature like a child, it says. It says, you're doing so you may become mature, so you won't be like a child, so you won't be tossed to and fro by all these different winds and all these different people saying all these different things about you. And you might be thinking, well, pff, I wouldn't give in to any of that. People tell me all the time that Jesus isn't real, and I tell them he is. Well, great, glad you do that. So that's not exactly what it means, though. Because a child will believe almost anything they say, someone tells them because they don't know any better. Christians who are not truly disciples, Christians who are not truly falling in love with Jesus and growing close to him every single day and have somebody pour into their lives, they'll believe what people tell them because no one is pouring into their life because they don't know any better. Do you know that Baptists are the number one denomination that convert to other religions? Now there's no science to back this up, but I would venture to say that is because we do not know God's word. We can go to church our whole life and not know God's word. We can go to church our whole life, hear somebody preach every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night and not know God's word. Because until you learn to take it in for yourself, you're not truly learning God's word. You're just taking somebody else's word for you. Yep, my pastor said it once, so it must be true. Then you go to college and all of a sudden, this professor says, your pastor's a liar. You're like, what? My parents, your parents are wrong too. And all of a sudden they start questioning everything that they've ever believed in because someone is presenting something to them in such such a way that they have no choice but to think, well, that must be true because they present a really good argument. If someone can convince you to be a Christian, someone else can convince you not to be a Christian. Discipleship is about life change. If your life isn't changed, if you're not giving everything over to Christ... You'll be tossed to and fro by the wind, just like a child would be. It happens over and over and over again. So when I was in high school, I had this friend named Mitch. <coughs> and Mitch was a senior when I was a freshman. And for some reason, he decided that he was going to be my friend. And I thought, I have a senior who's my friend. Man, this is the greatest day of my life. I don't know what he said to me ever. I couldn't tell you one conversation we ever had, but he was my friend. Well, I can tell you one conversation, but I'll tell you in a second. But for some reason, he decided that we were gonna be friends, and I was okay with it, because Mitch was also the biggest, buffest, strongest guy in the entire school. This might be surprise you, because I was pretty big myself. <laughs> so, but me and Mitch, we were pretty good friends, and we both played on the soccer team. <clears throat> and there's one tournament we were going to, I believe it's in Oklahoma, if I remember correctly. And as we were traveling there, the seniors got to ride in their own van because p- apparently they're special and they need their own space. So the freshmen and sophomores and juniors were all riding in the school van. And they start talking about random things. That, you know, the freshmen, there's like three of us that made the team. We are just like sitting on the front row up by the coach, scared to death. You know, it's like, what are these guys going to do? Now, I've never wanted to pick a fight, but if someone starts picking on me, I just don't put up with it which doesn't necessarily go over well for me. (laughs) I've since learned not to do that because some people are much bigger than I am and that's not smart. But as we were traveling, these uh, juniors started, I don't even know what they're talking about, playing on the field and distracting people. And so how can we distract people? And they started talking about all these different ways and I pointed out this one junior. I said, well, this junior, his name is Mark, so we can just get Mark's girlfriend out there and no one will be able to notice and... Apparently that was the wrong thing to say because he jumped over three seats and started beating me. And the coach went like this, just turned the mirrors like, you had that coming, boy. You know. <laughs> Sometimes when you're a freshman, you don't quite realize to keep your mouth shut. Let me just teach you all that right now. You can get beat when the adults allow it. Not that I ever would, but you know. But the thing is, I was like, After that happened, I thought, I'm telling you, I had bruises and welts all over me. It was, oh man, it was bad. But at the same time, like, well, I deserved it, kind of thing. So not a big deal. Until later, Mitch came up to me and said, I heard something happened on the van. So yeah, I said. So I was like, what happened? And so I kind of told him what happened, and he said, well, I'll take care of it for you. It's like I don't know what that means, but thanks. Well, all I know is about 30 minutes later, some junior came up to me almost crying and apologized. And I thought, it is good to have a friend like Mitch. <laughs> and so, but you know, even though Mitch might not have invested in my life spiritually, just having somebody there in my life that would take an interest in me and, and the things of my life meant the world to me. You know, and, and I can probably say that besides outside of my parents, there was no one that really invested and discipled me when I was in junior high and high school. I mean, it, it just didn't happen. And then I went, moved to Texas at one point, and I was in my early 20s, and I basically still am, as you can tell, but, you know. But uh, as I was living in Texas, I met this guy. His name was Pinky. Well, that's his nickname, but it's what he went by. <clears throat> and Pinky was a retired man. He's about 70 years old, and me and Pinky did everything together. And Pinky started investing in my life and started discipling that. And that was really the first time someone took the time to disciple me. But me and Pinky did everything there. We went, me and the 70-year-old man went to movies together. I mean, we went and played putt-putt together. I mean, it was fantastic. It, I mean, he is a great guy. And everybody in the church thought, this is so weird. They, they comes to me and he's like, hanging out with your 70-year-old friend tonight? He said, absolutely. I mean, the guy's awesome especially because he bought my lunch every Sunday, so that was even greater. <laughs> on a side note, I'm always available for lunch on Sunday. So, but, but, you know, when Pinky started investing in my life, when he started doing that, even it, it reminded me a lot of how Mitch invested my life when I was in high school. Now, Mitch might not have put the effort in for the spiritual side, and he might not have had much of the spiritual side. But when Pinky started investing in my life, I had those same kind of feelings like, man, it, it is so good to have somebody invest and truly care about me. And and when we are part of discipleship, it is important to find other people you can invest in. It's not just simply finding somebody to pour into you, but it's finding somebody else that you can pour into as well. And so uh, you are never meant to just be a disciple because you are also meant to become the teacher and become the discipler. And so the purpose of being a disciple is to become mature and equip other believers to the work of the ministry. Did that change you? Oh, yeah. So you're meant to equip others to become disciples. (laughs) But the thing is, we have, we've confused ourselves so many times think, well, I don't really have to do that because that is the pastor's job. That is, you know, the evangelist's job. That's the missionary's job. And and here, even in these verses in Ephesians, you are never meant to just simply stay where you are. You are meant to move from this work and progress to this place of completion, this place, this original purpose that God has intended for you to be. And so in that process, you are meant to become the teacher. You are meant to become the pastor whatever God calls you to do. But you are meant to then turn around and invest and equip somebody else. You are meant to equip someone else to go from this life to the life that God attended them to, to that original masterpiece. And by sitting back and just saying, well, somebody else is going to do it because we hired a pastor, so it's going to get done. That might be true for two or three people, but a pastor can't disciple an entire church. The pastor can disciple two or three people who can then around disciple two or three people and so on and so forth. But until you take the challenge, until you step up and start discipling those around you and even finding somebody who will disciple you, you will never be who God has intended you to be because you are all meant to serve. You're all meant to equip other people. And so serving in ministry is the pathway to maturity. And so even like it says here, uh, and the verses we read says uh, in verse 12, it says to equip people for the works of the church so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity and faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. And so the best way to become mature is to start doing the ministry because you're meant to equip somebody to become the original masterpiece that God meant from the beat. And we know when you do that, that's called ministry. Discipling somebody else's ministry. Serving in the church is ministry. It's not just sitting back and waiting for somebody else to do it. But the only things worth investing in are God, the Word of God, and the souls of men and women. And I say because we spend so much time investing in other things, thinking that they're going to last forever, which are just going to fade when, as soon as our life ends. The only things that last forever is God, His Word, and the souls of men and women. And yet we think, well, I really need to invest in, in my basketball skills because, well, I'm going to get a scholarship. Or I really need to invest in my work because my family really needs a lot more money. Or I really need to invest in, in my family because, you know, they're not going to be around forever neither am I. And all those things are good things to invest in. And none of those things are wrong. But we, when we only invest in things that, that are fading When we only invest in things that aren't eternal, we're wasting our life. You're wasting your life if you don't invest in things that are eternal. And so what does all this have to do with us? The first thing is, even in discipleship, we overestimate what can happen in the short term. But we underestimate what can happen in the long term. Because we think, well, if I start being disciple, if I really get into my, my Bible... In about a week, I'm going, to be a, I'm going to at least know as much as the pastor, which is probably not far from the truth. But I'm just kidding. But you know, I think about it. We think in a week or maybe even a month, we're going to know as much as anybody else in the church because, well, we're studying our Bible. But you know what? The thing is, people who are truly being disciples, people who are truly into God's word, have been studying the word for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And to realistically think that you're going to know as much as someone who's been saying the Bible for 30 years in a week is just foolish. But we think that God's just going to change our life around just like that because, well, we're reading his word. So my life's going to change and it's going to be perfect. But the other side is we underestimate what God can do in the long term. We underestimate how God's really going to use our lives, how God can use our lives to change hundreds, if not thousands of people. If we'll simply follow him in his lead. But until you're ready to be a disciple, until you're ready to lead somebody else and let somebody else also invest in you, you're never going to see those results. And so uh, Christians uh, are some of the best people making excuses. I mean, they really—they're like, well, I got to wash my hair today so I can't go to church. Or today, well, man, my, my toe is just really hurting because I stubbed it last night. It's... I might as well just stay home. Or, man, I got this ball game to go to, or I got this or that or whatever it isn't. And we're really good at making excuses. We can even make it sound really good and make others think, yep, they're right. They must be, have it all together. But the thing is, God's not looking for excuses. He's looking for people who will get up and do the work. He's looking for people who will serve and do the ministry that God's called them to do. You were never meant to just simply sit back and do nothing. And so if you are not being discipled and if you're not discipling others, and you cannot grow in your faith. You have to take the time to invest in it. But here's a few things that a disciple is. A disciple is accountable. A disciple is reproducing other disciples. A disciple is missional, looking for ways to serve. A disciple loves the church and everything about you. I really believe that if someone is truly a disciple, they're going to want to be in church every single time the doors are open. And that might be a shocker for some people because, especially in the United States, we've almost made to where, well, if you go on Sunday mornings, you're good to go. And there's nothing wrong with going to church on Sunday mornings. That is a great thing to do. You should all be here on Sunday mornings to worship. But if you truly want to be a disciple, why wouldn't you put in as much time as you can to, be, uh, to, be, to allow somebody to invest in you and be a disciple? It, it doesn't make any sense that we just think, well, I can go to church once a week and I'm going to be a disciple. That doesn't make sense at all. I like, well, I can go to work once a week, and I can probably make at least you know, 100000 a year. Uh, I mean, it doesn't work like that. To, to make money, to be a disciple, any of those things, it takes work and investments. You can't just do it once a week. you got to be able to do it as often as you can. So if you're not being discipled, you're not growing in your faith. But a disciple also knows his Bible. A disciple loves to serve people. A disciple loves to love people. And a disciple, to simplify it, a disciple obeys Christ. And even partial disobedience to Christ, or even partial obedience, is still disobedience. Following Jesus requires everything you have. Whether you're going to college whether you're working somewhere, whether you're a parent, whether you're in high school. If you truly want to grow closer to Christ, if you truly want to follow him for a lifetime, it takes radical obedience. Not like most people you may think of who go to church once a week, but radical obedience to follow Christ every single day, to serve him every single time you can, to find someone who's going to be willing to invest in your life personally. Not only that, but to find somebody else whose life you can invest in. You know, there's many ways to get involved. There's many ways to make disciples. One of the things that we're going to start doing a lot more of, uh, even with our youth, is we want to start connecting them with adults who will be willing to even pray for them. You might not know how to disciple somebody because, you know, you're really good at making excuses. You might not think you know enough. But simply just agreeing to pray for a student every single day could make a world of difference. And then that prayer might turn into a discipleship. And we want to start connecting students and connecting adults who are willing to pray for them man, as soon as we can. But we don't want people who are going to say, I'm going to pray for them and then never show up to church again. We want people who want to say, yeah, I'll pray for them and never talk to them. We don't want somebody who will say, yeah, I'll pray for them and then forget to pray. We want people who will take it seriously, who really will pray for these students. If you haven't noticed, the world is a very hard place to live in. High schools are, seem to be getting tougher and tougher. More and more issues are popping up. How can we invest in, those, in the lives of the next generation? If we're not investing in the lives of the next generation, can you really say that you're a disciple? Otherwise, Jesus might die with your generation. Who is discipling you? Who's investing in you? And who are you investing in or or who are you going to look to invest in? Don't say this same piece that's full of sin your whole life. Work to become this masterpiece, this original purpose that God's intended you to be and look to make somebody else that same masterpiece. Who will you invest in and who will invest in you? And let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for the work that you're doing in this church, the work you're doing in our lives. God, I pray just that even as we're here today and I mean, even talking about discipleship, God, that you would stir our hearts to, to want to know you more. God, that you'd move in our lives, that we, would, that we would seek to find someone that we can invest in. God, that we would seek to find someone who would invest in us. Jesus, I pray that as we continue this day of even celebration of our seniors, God, that we would remember to pray for these seniors as they start this new chapter in their life. God, that we would even find people that we could just simply pray for and invest in. Jesus, man, our, our lives are full of sin. God, we can make excuses of not knowing enough or not knowing what to do, but God, I pray that we would stop making excuses and, and would start doing the ministry that you've called us to do. God, that we wouldn't just think it's the pastor's job or or the job of a missionary, but God, that we would realize that it is our job to do your ministry, to do your work, that we'd go out and equip people for the ministry you've called them to do. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for even giving us the opportunity to to follow you for, the, for a lifetime. Jesus, I pray as we walk out of here today that we'd walk out of here, change people. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.